All right, Steph, I've got a question for you. What's your favorite book of all time? Uh, obviously, you met her where? Oh, I thought you were going to say the Bible. Oh, oops. <laughs> oh. So what's your second favorite book of all time? You met her where? <laughs> <laughs> a distant second. Totally distant. It's a pretty good book. Sorry, God. It's still a pretty, pretty good book. But we're so excited. Where can people get our book? Honey? Okay, I know this. Uh, Amazon.com. Yes. Barnes & Noble. Yes, and? And our website, KevinStuff.com. And, and what happens if they buy it off our website? <gasps> what do they get? Uh, an autograph from us. Yes. Who wouldn't want that? Exactly. So, listeners, if you've already read the book, thank you so much. We've had such good feedback. One thing that helps us, if you can give us a review on Amazon.com, we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much, and thank you for listening. Hello, friends. Welcome to our podcast, Tell Us a Good Story. Wow, are you in for a treat today. Our good friend, Courtney Simmons, walks us through the adoption process her and her husband went through for their son. Absolutely amazing. We hope you enjoy this episode of Tell Us a Good Story. I am very, very excited about this next guest. I've only heard bits and pieces of this story, so this is going to be an absolute treat for me. You guys, this story brings tears to my eyes. Uh It is such an impactful story. Well, let me introduce the guest. Yes, let's do that first. All right. Our next guest is a close friend of ours who has an amazing story to tell, along with Steph's sister. This person is probably one of the most fun and energetic individuals that we know. She is also a wife, an adoptive mom, and a coffee addict. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) please welcome to tell us a good story, Mrs. Courtney Simmons. Welcome, friend. We are so happy that you are here, and we cannot wait for everyone to hear your story. Well, Courtney, thank you for saying yes to us. Steph was adamant that we ask you to share your story, and I was like, what story? Like, what story are you talking about? I'm like, like the time she met my buddy Todd and married him. Like, what are you talking about? She's like, no, the adoption process that they went through with Eli, who's now four years old, right? Yeah. And I was like, oh, that story. But I have only heard bits and pieces of this story, Courtney. So thank you for being willing to record a conversation with us here. Well, absolutely. Well, first off, let me say, um, this is my favorite podcast. It was such an honor (laughs) to be asked. I'm not going to lie. I was a little nervous today. And then you just ranked me with Katie. I'm like, whew, that is, that's some big (laughs) shoes to fill. So Uh, I'm on fire today. Well, hopefully you have fun. I want this to be (laughs) a very fun, very natural conversation for you. So don't, don't be nervous at all here. I'm an open book. I'll tell you that. Okay, good, good. So the first question, Courtney, is... Once you got married, how long was it until you started having this conversation about starting a family? Sure. So we got married in our young 30s. So let's say 32-ish. I think that was the year. 32. Add 11. 33. 33. <laughs> got married when we were 33. And 
you know how it goes. You get married and then you have a baby. And I am such a planner. That's how easy it was going to be. So um, backtrack 11 years ago, that was our journey that, you know, especially getting married later in life. So we were going to get married and then start a family right away. That makes sense. Absolutely. That's, I mean, as a female in your 30s, you would probably be saying the same thing. Oh, it's, it's your like, let's biological go. clock's ticking, right? Sure. And like, I heard it this. out loud all the t- every day. I heard it. it I'd wake up and I'm loud. like, what's that noise? I'm like, oh, that's my biological clock ticking. Yeah. I heard no that. pressure. Be, <laughs> exactly. No pressure, Todd. Yes. So what happened? So we were living our best life, you know, um, young, married, young, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> married uh, with no attachments and traveling and just trying to have babies. Like that's a lot of fun, right? So when it wasn't happening um, months, years, we're like, well, let's go talk to the doctor. Let's see what this is about. So that was our first step. And that right there is intimidating. You put a wall up, you know, you're like, what's wrong with me? Am I broke? Like what's broke? Can it be fixed? And you go in, um, we started going to a fertility specialist just, you know, just to see. And um, to be honest, they were so comforting. They're like, oh, you're only, you know, let's say 34, 35, you're plenty young. Um, Here's some meds. Take some meds and we'll get those ovaries going. And um, Todd, we're going to give you some of these meds and together you're just going to have babies. Oh, great. Well, that didn't work. So you had to go down that path. And again, that clock was getting louder and louder. And so then we would go back to the doctor. And um, I should mention too, like in between um, our journey to having, trying to have children or my journey to motherhood, um, there were miscarriages and um, multiple failed fertility issues. So we did the basics and then... I feel like it's a pyramid. Then you go to the next level. It's like all you see is dollar signs in a calendar, to be honest. That's all I saw. And so, you know, looking back, it was months that turned into years and very, very long years. And it seemed like everyone around me was pregnant. And Todd would say the same thing. Yes. I remember when we had fertility issues. For sure. The thing that drove stuff nuts was social media and what you would see on Facebook or Instagram was so hurtful to you. Mm -hmm. Um, Just in, in regards to what you were saying, right? Because you would see like a teenager get pregnant and the, the words they were using Mm -hmm. of of an unwanted pregnancy or whatever, right. was so hurtful for you when we were trying everything our means to try to have a baby or when people, you know, I'm, I, I was always, and I know you're the same person, Courtney, like we're so happy <laughs> mm-hmm. for these people that were able to get pregnant, but they would have their fifth or sixth kid. And they're like, ah, you know, just got pregnant again. I, I'm just so super fertile or blow. My husband just, just looked at me and, yeah, got and I got pregnant. I'm like, Oh, like, like you ache for that. I ached for a baby. I ached for a baby. And then just to see people just, passing it off like it wasn't a big deal or they didn't want this baby. It just, it broke my heart. It was horrible. I feel like social media was not my friend at that time. How did you feel? 
Oh, I was the girl at work that planned all the baby showers. Oh. So I would plan this baby shower at work and I worked in corporate America. So everyone in my department like drank from the water fountain and it was a big joke. They're like, my goodness, if you want to get pregnant, just drink from that water fountain. I'm like, I have been, but I would be plan or I would plan these baby showers and then I would just go home and just cry. I would let it out. I, I didn't want anyone to see that side of me. And then I was taking, you know, all kinds of hormonal medicine. So that, you know, multiplied everything. So that was challenging, to say the least. Now, did you tell people, I knew, but at work, for instance, were you telling people that you were on this journey or did you keep it quiet and more like close knit to just your friends and or close friends and family? Good question. So the first time we did any sort of treatment, I told everyone, because again, it was going to work. Like, mm-hmm. you guys, um, I remember Todd and I went out for sushi and wine. I'm like, oh, we better hurry up and get our sushi and wine in because this is going to be the last supper, the last meal. <laughs> so let's make it a good one. And we did. And then the next day, uh, we started a treatment. And you know, I told everyone, like, oh, last meal. I, I probably hashtagged it. I probably put it on <laughs> social media. Again, lessons learned. Don't ever do that. And uh it came to bite me in the butt, obviously, numerous times, but um, that wasn't the route that you know worked for us. Gosh, I wish I could ask your husband right now. <laughs> the pressure involved with mm. having let's let's go right now. It's go time. I don't care if football's on. I don't care if you're in the middle of work. It is go time. Let's do it. And that fun that you talked about is no longer fun. Mm-mm. No, right? it's, it's not organized. what I ex- it's not what I expected. I guess when we got married, mm-hmm. that type of process and, and the pressure that you put on yourselves in marriage. So not only that, in which I want to get into that, but like I would read things like, oh, I know if we sleep on the other end of our bed and have sex, <laughs> that, that's what it is. If we stand on, if I stand on my head, if we eat carrots mixed with, you, you know, name it. Yes. Guess what? I did that. I used to make fun of those people. I found myself doing that. Totally. Absolutely. That's what you do because you just, (laughs) whatever can get you like over that hump, you're going to do it, right? Because it's not fun. It's a job. This is Mm -hmm. what we have to do. It's it's too much pressure. I remember I fasted for I can't tell you how long because I thought maybe that maybe yeah. it's something in my body. So let me fast <laughs> and get everything completely cleaned out and you know healthy and my body's in tune with it. So oh, it's horrible, horrible. Well, when you started like we started doing the IVF treatment. So if you know anyone that's done IVF, like I've even had some people t- um, come and approach me. Hey, my sister's getting ready to do IVF. Do I say anything? Should I not say anything? And of course, you know, I wanted the comfort. I wanted to know that people, I, I wasn't alone or other people did IVF. But with IVF, it's such an invasive treatment that everything is timed. So... I was just say I I don't know a lot about this. Yeah, so, walk, so can you walk let me know through. because I know it's I know there's a lot of shots involved and it is a very time consuming, timely process, mm-hmm. right? It very. Okay, walk Lots me through of what shots. does that what does that include without any gory details? <laughs> sure. So when we started or when we committed to trying IVF, 
um, first, let me say, I can't even look at the veins on my wrist. Like I get a paper cut, I'm ready to go to the hospital. So I don't even know how I was thinking I was going to birth a child. But anyway, when they told me, you know, shots will be in your stomach, your thighs, and in your buttocks. I'm like, is there a pill form for this? Like I need a pill form. And they were, you know, no. And so they got my... (laughs) Sorry. Not yet. So thank God... Todd like came through, like he was a champion. We played doctor and he was amazing. So he would have to mix our drugs to the point of, I mean, like it was chemistry. Um, <laughs> if you would see our, our bedroom, it looked like something off of breaking bad, all these needles <laughs> and all this stuff. And, um, everything would have to be timed, timed in the morning, timed in the evening. And then after so many days of that, you had the magic intercourse. And it like, you know, they'll tell you, okay, and 16 hours later. So then I'm counting 8 8 p.m. Okay, 8 p.m. So how do you get ready and know, okay, I have to have sex at 8 p.m. 8 p.m. We're going to do this right now. I don't wish that upon anyone. Let me just tell that. And looking back that we survived years of that. Well, I wouldn't say years, but many treatments of that. Oh, it's thank God that is behind us. Let's just say that. Oh my gosh. Mm. So, okay. So you have shots. Now, was there any time where you had to do a shot and Todd wasn't there? So this is a funny story. We had an education class on the meds, how to inject, all that good stuff um, at our fertility doctor. And there were probably six or seven couples um, in this class And as soon as we walk in, I see these two beautiful girls. And I'm like, great. Todd is going to be distracted by this couple. He's not going to pay attention to how to inject me. I'm just, and of course, we're sitting right beside them. And I'm like, oh, great. And lo and behold, this girl kept trying to talk to me and look at my chart, like when I start. And I just kind of brushed it off and you're nervous going in there anyway. You don't even want to make eye contact with anybody in case you know them. I really felt that shunned. So the next couple of days go by and I have to go back to that office for an appointment. And here she is, one of those girls. And so she approaches me. She's like, hey, we were in the same class. And I was like, yes, you and your partner. And she was like, no, that's my best friend. My husband won't inject me. So I had to take her with me. So fast forward um, a few months. She called me one day. We were both at work. She said, Courtney, I need you to meet me at lunch. We, at this time, we developed a relationship instantly. Like We called ourselves IVF BFF. And so a couple of weeks went by and she needed, her girlfriend wasn't at work. And so she's like, can you please meet me at Panera? I have to take this shot at 12.05. And I'm like, oh God, Carrie, I've never done this before. Todd only injects me. Let me call my husband, my husband, to see if he can inject you. <laughs> so of course he was like, no, that's weird. I, I'm in a meeting. I, I don't really even make that time anyway. So lo and behold, I put on my big girl panties. I drive to Panera. And here we go. We're like, where are we going to do this? It was freezing outside, freezing. We're like, let's just go in the bathroom stall. So if they have cameras in there, what they've seen, I don't know, but they saw four feet with pants pulled down to an ankle because this one went in her butt. 
and I'm shaking in the conversation that's going on behind the stall. And I'm like praying, please, God, do not let anyone walk into this three stall bathroom (laughs) and see us in this stall. Like we're going to get the cops called on us. Like it's going to be crazy. And you were volunteering your husband to do this? (laughs) That's how bad I hate needles. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I'd rather him do that he yes he would have been better at it anyway (laughs) and now that I know that she's happily married and all that good stuff I've been a lot more comfortable (laughs) see that she's Courtney's a giver Kevin you that's right forget she is a giver it doesn't matter what it's of her time of her husband it doesn't matter gonna help she's gonna help yes she is oh my god so you had to be there (laughs) so how long is this IVF process and how many, I guess, and how many times, how many rounds did you do or did you do? So I know people that have done nine rounds. So we mm. did two rounds, but I will say in between, we got pregnant naturally, then miscarried. So the emotional roller coaster and then coming off those meds, um, it, it really messes with you. And I just did not feel comfortable with going into a third round. And I just, I couldn't do another round. I was tapped out. I think Todd was tapped out. It's such an emotional roller coaster because once everything is done, you wait for two weeks. Okay. So I didn't want to sneeze. I didn't want to walk. I just wanted to sit with my legs crossed. Mm. And, you know, that's no way of living. And then you went, got your blood test, and waited another few hours. And I will say, if you have friends or family going through that, and if they don't want to talk about it, just love on them love on them because their emotions have to be, you know, sky high. Well, not only because you want that baby, but then you're, you know, you're obviously in pain. Then your hormones are growing crazy. Then there's probably some tension between you and your spouse. Then there's a financial burden on top of that. Absolutely. It's it's horrible. Were you and Todd ever out, say at dinner, date night with friends. You're like, Hey, sorry, we got to go right now. I need a shot. (laughs) Like, does that happen? We have done shots in the car. Um, where else have we, some crazy places we'd always, we were such nerds about it that we wanted to be prepared, but lo and behold, I would have needles in my purse. If we were out and about, um, used needles because then I'd have to wait to get home to dispose of them and I'd forget, you know, or there'd be needles in the car. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is just bonkers. Like if someone would walk by and see these needles in my car. You almost have like a doctor's permission. Like, sorry, IVF. I have an excuse here. Well, I can't imagine though. I didn't even think about the hormonal issues. Mm. Like getting a negative result after going through all these treatments and your hormones are out of whack and you get that negative news. It just multiplies that that Mm. impact. You know, to be honest, only Todd and I could experience it. Like we have such a loving family and supportive friends and that, that carried us through, you know, that definitely carried us through, but we didn't want them to hurt for us. Like, it's just our personality. We'd rather not tell them all the gory details because they've seen our struggles throughout the years, you know? And it was just one more thing. I didn't want to break my mom's heart again. You know, I've, we honestly felt like we were 
upsetting the others because I know that sounds so weird, but it honestly felt that we were putting them in an awkward situation because we couldn't have a baby. Mm. I never thought about that. I The only reason I think about that is because I know Courtney and I remember <laughs> her going through that and not wanting to talk about it. And you always put on a brave face. Always you know, had you, a smile. You always had a smile. You always had a brave face. But I could tell. I mean, I hurt mm-hmm. in my experience. So I, and thank you, Jesus, I didn't have to go through IVF. So I can't even imagine the pain you had to feel, you know, going through all of this and then multiple times, s- multiple times and still not having that positive test result, you know? Oh, we, we definitely sunk into depression. Um, you know, that smile would only last so long. I know we'd be out and about and friends would tell us they were pregnant. And of course, again, we were so happy, but I could look at Todd and I could like, he would be like, okay, it's time to go. And we would make an excuse and we're like, Mm -hmm. hey, hey, we're going to go let the dog out. So uh, good seeing you guys, you know, well, uh, you know, and we would just get in the car and be like, there's times we'd scream at the top of our lungs or just cry or sit in silence, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Right. But again, like I say all of that, it's behind us. Steph, do you know what I don't like? What? I don't like it when you leave me and the kids home alone, completely unsupervised, to go get your hair done at Chloe & Co. Kevin, think of it as bonding time with you and the kids, and then, of course, mama time for me. Okay, yeah, sure. But I do like it (laughs) when you walk through the door looking all fresh and beautiful when you get home. Friends, Chloe & Co. Salon & Spa is a full-service salon offering the latest techniques in hair color, cuts, and extensions as well as a nail bar and spa. You guys, I love, love, love going there. It is so much fun, and they make you feel so beautiful after you leave. Now, I haven't been there, but I've been told they are located in Alexandria, which is right between New Albany and Granville. Check out their Instagram at Chloe and Co. Salon or their website at ChloeCoSalon.com. That's C-H-L-O-E-C-O Salon.com. They are a proud sponsor of... Tell us a good story. So, Courtney, I don't know a whole lot about the adoption process, okay? Of course, I do know there's three ways you can go about adopting a child, right? One is through foster care. Mm-hmm. One is through a like private adoption agency. And then a third way that I don't think a lot of people do anymore is uh, going international. And I know Correct. that has changed a lot of the years with regulations and adoption programs and all that. So, of course, you have those three options. You and your husband, Todd, chose to go the private agency route, which I am fascinated about what those conversations are like and how that takes place. So how did you, how did you, I guess, decide to even go that route to begin with? Great question. So it was me that said, I'm done with IVF. I, I can't do it again. I can't. We did IUIs. We did IVF. And the money we spent on that, you know, I just like, I, I, I can't do it anymore. I'm, I'm done. I can't do another heartbreak, to be honest. And I really, we didn't talk much about adoption, but God laid it on my heart and I started praying. And I thought, oh, I wonder if I can convince Todd to adopt. And that took a while, to be honest. Um, backstory, a lot of people don't know this, but Todd is also adopted. So he has an amazing story of his own. 
So once we came into agreement that we were going to adopt, you know, Todd's first question was like, so do we just pick a store? You know, there's so many adoption agencies. How do we know which one to go to? Because he's my researcher. He will pinpoint everything, do the T-bar of the pros and the cons. And I'm like, well, you know, I know friends that went here. Um, And then once we started talking about, hey, guys, we may adopt. Well, so-and-so adopted. You should talk to them. Give me their number. My dog sitter adopted. Can I have their number? I would say five times a week, I was calling strangers, introducing myself. Hey, I think I want to, I'm Courtney. I know your mailman um, gave me your number. I hope you don't mind, but I want to adopt. Can you tell me your story? Mm -hmm. I met so many new friends. And so I would sit and listen to them. And like I said, we had really good friends that use this agency. I called them like, Hey, what do we do? We want to adopt. All right. Well, come on down to our agency. So every Christmas, um, the holidays were the worst. When you're trying to have a baby, the holidays killed us. Um, It was Christmas. And I don't know what it was about Christmas, but it just killed us. So every year we went away, just like the movie, Four Christmases, we packed our bags and moved (laughs) away. I remember my sister not talking to me for two months. How dare you go away for, it's Christmas. I'm like, I... We have to. Mm-hmm. And so after we got through that for four years, we traveled Caribbean, Australia. We went away. Like we didn't care where it was. We wanted to go away. So we went um, down to the Caribbean. And I remember us coming back on the 30th. And on January 1st, we had an appointment at our adoption agency. And we were so nervous. We didn't even know what to expect. And that was just the start <laughs> of oh, the God. adoption journey. So I thought IVF was a journey. Adoption is a whole nother ball game. And for some reason, I thought we were going to go into this house and there were going to be kids in this back room and I could just go look at them. So when we were ready to adopt, <laughs> it's not like that. The things that go through your it's, mind. It's like you're picking up a puppy is what you're thinking. Like, I'll take that one. I wish. I wish it was that easy. And it kind of like in my sick head, I wanted it to be that easy. Well, because of so, everything you've just gone through. Right? Like, give me just go easy. in the room. Yes. 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 So paperwork after paperwork, after background checks, after fingerprinting, after the fire marshal having to come to my house and inspect it. So after all that, um, the hardest part of adopting, I would say, if you had to ask me, is you had to make a book to sell yourself. I'm not that creative. I'm not that good. And so so many things went through my head. We're too old. We're not, our house isn't nice enough. We're not, I'm, look at all these people I'm competing with. And we had to make this book of pictures and tell a story of our life so that a mom, a birth mom would pick us. So with it being a private agency, most adoptions are open. Um, there are a few that are closed. Um, it takes a lot longer. It's more loopholes. And what do you mean by open? So open adoption, meaning you have a relationship with a birth mom. She knows who you are, where you live, your contact information, and has all of the baby's information. Okay. Does that mean they can show up for birthday parties or get-togethers? or No. Okay. No, not at all. Unless you agree to that. But... Okay. Um, 
open that she knows all of us. She knows everything about us. We know everything about them. Um, They have our contact name. So why did you choose to go the private agency route versus, say, foster care or like a foster to adopt? Well, after researching this adoption agency, they specialized in birth adoptions. Okay. Um, In a perfect world, that's what I wanted. I wanted a birth adoption from day one. And I prayed hard about that. Um, And this adoption agency was very popular amongst all the hospitals in Dayton and Cincinnati. So I thought that had a pretty good pull, if you want to say. Yeah, that makes sense. I actually have some statistics for you, Courtney, if you don't Mm, mind. Okay, Please. So around 140,000 children are adopted in the United States each year. Really? And That's over, interesting. Over 440,000 children are in foster care in the United mm. States. However, less than 2% of Americans have actually adopted a child. Actually, adopting an infant, like you're talking about, Courtney, is rare. Only 10% of hopeful parents being placed with a baby is, is what happens. Really? Yes. There's, it says there the wait is often wow. long and full of disappointment mm-hmm. and heartbreak. And granted, this is on adoptionnetwork.com and americanadoptions.com. So while there's no adoption waiting list statistics, it's estimated that around 2 million couples are waiting to adopt Ooh. a child. Wow. 2 wow. million couples. And of that, 38% is private. Like you just talked about, 37% is foster. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the remaining is, is international, which, which has decreased over uh, the last several years. Then... 62% of children adopted privately are placed with an adoptive family when they're newborns or less than one year old. Mm. Wow. So that's one of the major incentives to going to uh, ad- adopt privately because the incentive is that you can get them at birth, mm-hmm. get a child at birth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then every year, now keep in mind, there's 2 million, well, an estimated 2 million couples on a waiting list. Mm-hmm. Every year there's about 1.3 million abortions. Ah! Only 4% of women with unwanted pregnancies actually place their children through adoption. 4%. You can't even express the gratitude of a birth mom willing to give up her baby. It's the most selfless act of love. And I made sure my birth mom knew that. So take us back. So you've gone to this adoption agency you know, you've passed all the tests, you've had your home visits, all that, then it's just a waiting game. So now you're, you're doing all these tests online, you have to prove that you're going to be a good mom. So once that's done, we zoom through that process per our choice. Like we just boom, boom, boom. So I kept a journal of everything. And starting from January 1st, from meeting, um, going down to the agency, meeting our social worker, going through all the checklist front and back (laughs) pages, Um, we were active. So we were ready to go. Everything was done. Our books were printed. And we get a call in March. And um, a social worker says, hey, we have a birth mom that wants to meet you. Um, Can you meet us? This was in Columbus. Can you meet us um, tomorrow um, at Bob Evans? We're like, yes. I went out, got a brand new outfit. (laughs) 
so nervous, changed the outfit 10 times. And I remember pulling up to Bob Evans and I looked at Todd and I said, you hold my hand when we go in there. I want them to see that we're so happy. <laughs> like, I was like, I could win an Oscar with this performance. We were so nervous. We didn't even talk the whole way down. So we walk in knowing that they would see us first. And cause I'm just looking for a pregnant girl. I'm like, where's the pregnant girl? That's who I'm going to go to. So um, this birth mom and this social worker was there. We stayed for over an hour. Um, she was due in less than two weeks. Okay. And um, I felt really good. It felt very comfortable. And of course, we're talking the entire time, trying to sell ourselves and sitting up straight. And, you know, I'm sure I'm kicking Todd under the table. I'm like, you're talking too much or <laughs> just so nervous. Like, oh my gosh, like this woman may be picking us. And so, Lo and behold, we get a call later that evening that um, she chose us. Like she chose us and um, she went ahead and uh, we exchanged phone numbers. So for the next two weeks, we were texting back and forth. I got to go to doctors, her two doctor's appointments with her. I got to hear the heartbeat. Oh, wow. Um, and I took my phone everywhere because I knew, you know, she was due. This was, um, she had had several children. So I knew this birth could be quick. So I, I don't think I slept for two weeks. I got the nursery done. Um, Todd put up a crib, I think within an hour, you know, like I don't even know if it was safe, but um, we packed a bag. So you get the news, Courtney, and you don't have any of this stuff yet, right? You don't have diapers. You don't have crib. You don't have Okay. So it is like, okay, go, go, go. We have to be prepared. We've got maybe a week. Who knows? Exactly. Um, we didn't know it was going to be a boy. So um, lo and behold, we get a call and she wanted us at the hospital. She actually wanted us in the room with her. So it was local. Um, so that day we had family here. Um, we just installed the car seat that we got and off we were to the hospital and we labored. We, I was with her. I laid in bed with her. um, I watched her water get broke. I mean, like we were one. I, it was awesome. Um, During the delivery, I held her leg. Todd was at her head and it wasn't weird. Like I don't, I don't, I can't describe it. It was not weird. We became instant best friends. And so the baby was delivered and we all did skin to skin. With you or with the birth mom? All three of us were really? doing skin to skin um, in the right after birth. Wow. So okay. then she got moved to, what's that called? Her mother and then her postpartum room. Postpartum. So once she got moved to postpartum, we, they gave us a room as well, a separate room, almost like a hotel. And it was supposed to be, she had him for three hours, then we had him for three hours. She had him for three hours. And that worked good for the first session. And then things started going south. She um, didn't want us to have him. She wanted more time with him. She wanted to get us photos. She kept this from her family. Um, And then she called the family to say, hey, I had another baby. And then they all wanted to come and meet that baby. And they tried to talk her out of, do not give this baby away. This is your baby. Um, Do not give this baby up for an adoption. And we were kept in the loop a little bit. Um, We were not allowed to have any family in with us. 
Um, <laughs> I'm sure Todd probably saw me at my worst going crazy. And I kept telling him, you go in and share your adoption story with her. Give her money. That came out of both of our mouths. Like, wonder how much on top of our adoption, the things that went through our head was crazy. She left the hospital, left the baby with us the next day, and then called me and said, I'm coming back for the baby. And then called again and said, no, you can have them. Um, this was all within 72 hours. So she brought her mom with her to see the baby and they just, they gave us a blessing and then left. And I think the whole hospital heard her leave. I just bawling and I'm bawling because I, you know, I can't imagine leaving the hospital without your baby. Lo and behold, the, um, the 70, the next day we're getting ready to go home, um, I had the baby all bundled in the car seat and Todd's warming up the car and the social worker knocks on the door, our door and says, she changed her mind. She's on her way to get him. Oh. And we melted. We, I, I had him in, my, in the car seat and I'm like, no, no. And I thought, where can I make it and break it and run? Let's, let's go to Mexico. Let's go to Canada. How? Can I maneuver getting past security? Those thoughts went through my head. And so we left empty with an empty car seat um, to a house full of diapers and bottles that our family and friends had showered us with. It couldn't wait for us to get home. And Todd and I just fell on the floor. And for the next week, we were both in fetal position. I thought, how could this be? I don't, there's not a, a drug on the street that can numb this pain. I just, I don't want to talk to anyone. I shut everyone off. And that was part of our healing process, let me tell you, because it was Todd and I that needed to heal together. And looking back, oh, I only needed him. And we got through it. And then we get another call. Hey, good news. A birth mom chose you. She wants to meet you. And we're like, all right, all right, a little bit of hope. And we go to meet her and Marietta, and she, um, she loved us. She chose us. And the same story, almost. I didn't let it get that far. Um, we were with her for a month. Um, I'm showering her with gifts. I'm sending her all kinds of things. I'm being her mentor. I'm just loving on her. And then all of a sudden, the text stop. Uh -oh. The phone calls stop. And it's a day, and it's two days. And then the third day, the social worker calls. And she said, I, I need to let you know, Ms. changed her mind. I thought, oh, I knew it. And I didn't have the guts to call her, you know, and how dare you? And I just put up a wall, another brick on the wall. And so did Todd. And so we just kept busy. We, we kind of just shut it off. And it, it was tough. Like, you know, it just was tough. Now on that on that second process, how far along were you when the birth mom said she changed her mind? Did she have the baby at that point? So, and, or this was before she actually ha had the, the child? She was only seven months pregnant at that time. So we spent a month together okay. building a relationship. And I had told her my previous story. So she was very respectful. And I respect her decision. I respect both those moms' decisions. Oh my gosh. Okay. So 
now you're through two of these experiences. Where do you go from here then? So here it is. It's June. So we're, we're, we're numb. We started this in January and it's June and we get a call. Hey guys, another social worker. Um, we have a birth mom that chose you. I've heard your stories before, but I have a really good feeling about this one. And Todd and I just kind of shrugged our shoulders. We're like, yeah, sure. What do you got? And she said, well, this birth mom has given um, two babies up for adoption. So she knows what it's like to leave the hospital without a baby. And she doesn't want to meet you. She said she'll meet you at the hospital and she doesn't want me giving you her name. Well, that drove Todd and I nuts. We couldn't Facebook stalk her. <laughs> you know, we couldn't look for previous siblings to see what they looked like. I mean, it drove us nuts. But we had already put a wall up. So we're like, whatever, we'll hurt you. You won't hurt us. So for a month, we had no clue. We were just kind of hanging on by a string. We knew her estimated delivery date. That was it. So a week prior to that estimated delivery date, we're starting to get antsy. We had stayed pretty busy that whole month of uh, June and uh, July. We had the holidays. We had lots of people in for July 4th. Um, and mind you, the nursery was complete now from our previous experience, but that door remained shut. We did not go in that room. No one was allowed to go in that room. It was just off limits. Um, Preparing for this birth, we didn't even pack a bag. <laughs> we thought, well, we'll go to the hospital and we might change our mind. We might tell her no after we meet her. We were real tough. <laughs> and so it was a Sunday and we get a call. Hey, we want to let you know um, Rosalia's in the hospital. You can go down there now. And it, this was in Middletown. So that was about a little over an hour drive. So we're like, oh, okay. So we, you know, slowly but surely packed a bag and headed in the car. And again, I don't think we spoke the whole drive down. Um, we definitely didn't tell family. We just couldn't set them up for another disappointment. So once we get there, they said, oh, I said, well, we're here for an adoptive birth and Rosalie is our birth mom. That's all I knew. And that's all I knew what to say. And we had just gotten her name that day. And so we go down and they're like, oh, okay, she's in room 304. And I'm like, Oh, do we just walk in? Like, do we introduce ourselves? Like, I don't even know what to say. What do you say? And so as we go in, um, the, the nurse was very kind. And she said, let me go ahead and give you a room to put your stuff in. And I'll let them know you're here. So I'm in the, the nice bed, reclining, getting all set in. And all of a sudden, I hear this knock on the door. And opens up. It's Willie. It's the birth dad. He said, Hey guys, I think you're here to adopt our baby. I, I didn't even know what to say. Who says that? We are shocked. We stand straight up. I'm like, do I shake your hand? Do I hug you? Come on, you can go meet Rosalie. When I say it was that casual, like I, I felt like I knew Willie my entire life. Like I grew up with him. Willie escorts us into Rosalie, who is in labor. She's maybe about three, four centimeters dilated. I awkwardly, hi, I'm Courtney, shake her <laughs> hand as she's, you know, not quite in stirrups yet. And for the next few hours, we get to know each other. I get to pray with her. Um, she gets to ask questions. And the one thing that she st 
told me that stood out the most. She said, the nurses told me your story of what happened to you previously. That's not going to happen. I'm carrying your baby. Mm. She said, when I was going through all the books, when I came across your book, he jumped in my stomach and I knew you were the one. So of course I'm bawling. And, um, I taught, you know, we got to spend the next couple hours with her getting to know her and then we let her rest and we just waited patiently and we get the call that the baby has arrived and we can go in. And as soon as we get to go in to see Elijah all wrapped up in a blanket, Rosalie's holding him. She looks at me and said, here's your baby and hands him directly to me. There wasn't a dry eye in the room. The nurses were crying. Todd and I are just melting. And Elijah has been mine since he's been five minutes old. Mm. <laughs> God is good. Every time. That story gets me every time. So let's talk about you have Elijah. You're allowed he's, to name him, right? Yeah. I was able to do everything. We came home a day early before she even signed the papers after the 72-hour mark. We got to meet his biological brothers. We've connected with them, who's also have been adopted out. Um, you guys, I forget he's adopted. Like, I, I honestly can truly say that. He's my baby. He looks exactly like my husband. Yes. He totally does. And he does. He totally does. <laughs> he acts like me, and he looks like Todd. That's what you get. <laughs> Should be reversed, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so what were your emotions walking out of the hospital getting him inside your house. Like what Ugh. were your guys' emotions? Right. Especially that time? getting up to that 72 hour point. Again. Yeah. That 72 hours is like military training. You cannot prepare for it. So we get in the car and I, and I'm not going to lie. Like I had a pit in my stomach, you know, I know what she said, but she could say something else. She could change her mind. I know how this works. I've been there. We get him home. And I, to be honest, I really didn't want to interact with him too much. And I didn't want to introduce him to anyone. We had 24 hours left. We didn't, know, you know, no one slept until we got that call from the social worker, um, which was like at 8 p.m. that night. And I just, oh, a re- it's like a balloon burst and weight lifted off my shoulder when she said she signed and I all is right in the world. Like I, I can't describe the pressure that was released. He was mine. Wow. So I'm amazed Courtney, how you and your husband's lives and perspective on things have changed since you became parents, right? Like you were (laughs) in corporate America, you worked at L brands, I believe at the time. Now you are dealing with, a toddler and preschool and volunteering for things and stay just at home mom. stay at home mom. And mm-hmm. just, it's amazing how your life has completely changed by this little guy. Sticky floors and messy windows, fingerprints on my windows. I absolutely love it. I wouldn't change it for a thing. You know, 
it's worth the wait. Um, I was given a word, delay is not denial. And I stuck to that word. Um, I kept a prayer journal and I just have to, <laughs> I have to plug this in. I started a prayer journal in January. I listed everything that I wanted and I put scripture beside it. I had forgotten about that prayer journal after the first adoption. I just kind of <laughs> threw it by the wayside. When I found that months later, um, after Elijah was born, I opened it up and I'm like, check, check, check. Those other two adoptions and meeting with those birth moms, I was compromising everything that I had written down. Everything that I had written down was compromised. It was nothing that I had prayed for. Here comes Elijah. He checked off every box. I mean... Wow. God is good. Only God. I love sharing my story and I love hearing others, other people's journey. Um, I'm a huge cheerleader. So if you need someone to talk to, please don't hesitate to call me. Um, I would love to hear from you, hear what's on your heart. And I would love to just encourage you. Mm. Well, forgive me. <laughs> not knowing that entire story. Isn't it amazing? I knew bits and pieces of it it's from talking to your husband. Yes. Now, of course, us guys, we I don't talk say, about adoption and stuff, right? Point. So when we're on a guy's trip, we're not. I'm not drilling Todd with, give me all those details. Was right? Todd like, we weren't able to do it naturally. We had an adoption. Here he is. We have Elijah. <laughs> there we go. There's my story. Three bullet points. So please forgive me for not knowing all of those details. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you have questions, Miss Courtney here mm -hmm. is an advocate for the agency. And if you would like to talk to her, please reach out to us. Uh, we will connect you. We with will her. connect you with Courtney. Absolutely. I, all of her social media stuff right now is private, but we will connect you with her if you have any questions about a, the adoption process. So, Courtney, thank you so very much thank for sharing you, that. What an incredible story that is. Absolutely. Anytime. Hello, friends. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to support this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts. You can rate and review this episode. Also, for those who have asked us how to financially support, you can go to kevinandsteph.com and order one of our books of You Met Her Where. Thank you so much for listening to Tell Us a Good Story.